You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And today I'm talking to the host of the bacon-wrapped business podcast, Brad Costanzo. Learn the radically transformative approach to starting and growing your business. And even learn how using Brad's method helped me 8x my investments. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Today, I have none other than Brad Costanzo, who is the podcast owner of Bacon Wrapped Business, which is one of the best business podcasts out there. And also, Brad is a very close personal friend of mine. So, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to come and join us. It's great to be on here, Adam. You're one of the few guests who've been on my show twice. I'm going to go for the hat trick. I'm going to go for the third. That way I can be... Has anyone done three? I don't think so. All right. That's the title. Well, twofers and that's about it. <laughs> so Brad, I'm going to start by just making sure that somebody listening to this knows clearly who you are. You are the man that I decided that I would phone when my business was struggling and I didn't know what to do. And I needed a psychology hack. And that was back when I really was launching my own dating brand. And you gave me literally in one phone call and maybe a couple of email follow-ups, something that transformed the money I invested with you into like seven or eight times more than that within a week. I remember it well, and it was almost exactly six years ago. It was right around the first part of June in 2013. Mm -hmm. I remember this because in many ways, it almost was like the prelude in my mind because it was the mind shift that you changed in me that made the difference. I was doing the same thing over and over again, trying to make it work. And you were the first person to tell me in a weird way that it was okay to do something different. And then rather than just tell me that, you mapped it out and you were like, look, this is what you need to do. And in many ways, that was like one of my first psychology hacks that you gave me that now I've gone on and of course got a whole bunch of them for a whole bunch of different things. But I'm really excited for this one because in many ways that transformed my entire life and I'll owe you that debt forever. This is a chance for me to be able to share with listeners some of the gems that I know come out from your mouth and from what happens when you and me get together and get talking. I love it when we get together. It's not that I'm smarter or anything. I think that just when you and I hang out, smart things happen. And I love that. I agree 100%, man. I absolutely agree. So let's dive in. I know that right now you're working or have been working with some of pretty big business celebrities, right? You've had like Jesse Itzler. I know you've been helping the woman that invented Spanx, right? That's uh, one of your clients. Well, Sarah Blakely, she's not a paying client, but I did work with her husband, Jesse Itzler, and I've got to meet with Sarah quite a bit. And we even did a proposal on some kind of cool stuff. So I've had a lot of good interaction with both of them, which has been amazing and just absolutely paradigm shifting as well for me. I love that, man. So let's just dive in. So somebody listening to this, they're either they're already run their business and they're looking to grow it, or maybe they're trying to start their business for the first time or just trying to be more successful. What's like a really simple psychological hack that we could like kick this off with that you think would make all the difference to somebody? So whether you're starting off trying to be an entrepreneur, trying to reinvent your life, trying to change something, or you're already in there and you're realizing that you'll never actually quite know how to do everything you need to do. There is a little phrase that I keep at the back of my mind all the time as a reminder, which is, I don't need to know everything if I can access the people who do. There's magic in that sentence. 
because it can be very debilitating and frustrating to be overwhelmed by all of the mountain of things that we don't know and that we're not good at and that we feel as though we have to be good at everything in order to move the ball. And we entrepreneurs, by the way, if you have that entrepreneurial bug, we make things happen. And sometimes it's just sheer force of will by ourselves when nobody else is like that around us. So it becomes very natural to take everything on ourselves. And it's moments like that. It happens all the time, even to this day. I stop and I go, okay, I don't need to know everything if I can access the people who do. Now, remember, I didn't say I don't need to know everything if I know the people who do. It's if I can access them. And that has been a point of leverage for me in so many situations where I thought it was hopeless. I stopped, took a deep breath. I thought about that. And then it allowed me to go through the process. Okay, well, what is it I need to know? And then who knows that? How can I access them? It just so happens that the reason I started my podcast was for one of those precise reasons. Yes, I wanted access to influence, but I also wanted to be able to talk to people who knew a lot more than me. And I needed a doorway to get access in. I needed my foot in the door. So I built a platform that allowed me to give back to that person in exchange for learning what they knew. So if there's any kind of core foundational psychology hack, it sounds so simple, but if you really think about it, there's magic in that concept. I love that. And something that I do a lot of, which is leverage, and I know you're really good at this as well. Anything I do has to benefit me in multiple ways or it isn't worth doing. I'll give a good example. I knew that we needed to film a lot of content for one of our businesses for our YouTube channel. And so we decided to run a live event and we invited some of the world's experts in this subject down to the live event and paid for them to attend. Now, because the live event made us a little bit of money, it helped offset the cost. However, the amount of money we typically would spend to generate four pieces of content was almost the same amount as we were spending for that entire event with the offset of the tickets. The net result of this was what normally costs us about two to $3,000 to film four pieces of content ended up costing us $6,000, but we made a couple of thousand back and we recorded 64 pieces of content, some of it containing some of the world's experts. Wow, that's fantastic. Right. And it's one of those things where like, it's all about, we knew that we had to do all these different elements. So we put it all together. So it's funny because a lot of my friends are like, wow, you had not many people turn up to your event. Wouldn't you consider that a fail? And I was like, no, it was absolutely not a fail. We saved money on content creation. And that was the real goal here. And what I love about what you're saying, it's like, how do you measure the metric? You'd never set out to have a successful podcast. Sure, you weren't going to not try your best and you weren't going to not allow it to be. But the goal was something much bigger than that. It was to be able to connect with people that you wanted to be able to pick their brain of without having to pay their exorbitant fees. Right. Well, in reality, there's a great value exchange there because I give them a platform to share their message to other people. And at the same time, I get to learn what's in their mind. And I also get to build a relationship with them. And actually, the biggest deals and ventures really in the past several years have come out from a lot of my podcast guests, just because they are typically successful, influential people. And I've found ways to add value to help them solve various problems. And I just got to pay attention to what's going on with them. Like typically, that phrase of I hate that. I think a lot of people hate that. Can I pick your brain? Because it's a very one-sided thing. But there is a true value exchange. And for people who are looking for, whether it's mentoring or advice or something else, if you're just looking for free 
advice, it's going to be worth what you pay for it. Yeah. But in this case, I'm able to get advice on a lot of different subjects over the past five years, several hundred episodes, but I'm paying for it by letting them borrow my platform for other people to really understand is what is the value exchange? And if you don't have the cash for it, you better have something else because otherwise you're going to get exactly what you pay for. Yeah, no, I agree with that actually. And I think that's a good reframe, a clarification of it because one of the things that I'm always thinking is in any business deal, how can I do a win-win? I want to make sure that we're both getting something out of this. Really powerful to take away from this. Yeah, as we're recording, I've got my 16-year-old nephew and listening to this. And I know he's looking to get ideas for business and stuff. And I know that one of the cool things about you and me when we get together is that we free flow ideas. They come very easily. And I think one of my favorite comments about that I saw you write on social media the other day was someone talking about how ideas are cheap. And you jumped in and said, actually, that's not true because a good idea with a right plan, and that's a large part of what you do, is worth a lot. Alex Mosco said that. Yep. Yep. I remember this exactly. He said, as we do this, I'm looking for the exact same thing because the concept of ideas, they get a really bad rap when it comes to is entrepreneurship. And people will say that ideas are worthless without execution. And I don't believe that because first you do need both. And this is not to denigrate execution. However, ideas are living. They reproduce, they spread like a weed or a virus in a very potentially positive or sometimes negative way. However, ideas are a lot like children. And I don't think anybody would say children are worthless until they become grown, productive members of society who can contribute to the economy. Children are valuable for many reasons, but one of the things that we value them for and cherish them for is because of the potential that they have. However, just like children, ideas need to be nurtured with structure and discipline and love. And in order to become fully realized visions that can actually be executed or that you execute it well. And I think what happens a lot of times is people negate ideas or they just think that they're cheap and that they've come so quickly. So what will either happen is that they won't flesh the idea out enough or they'll have an idea abortion, right? Mm -hmm. Just to keep along this <laughs> me dark metaphor. Or the other thing they'll do is they'll have an idea, they won't flesh it out, and then they'll chase it and they'll run off half-cocked. One of my favorite authors, Keith Cunningham, talks about how there's nothing worse than or more dangerous than running enthusiastically in the wrong direction. And I know I've done that before because I have failed to stop and really analyze the idea through to its fruition. In the past year, I've had multiple clients hire me for ideation intensives where we come in and we really take all of the big ideas they have for what they can do with their business. Sometimes it's a total reinvention. Sometimes it's a product expansion or a new profit center. And they've got the frustrating thing is entrepreneurs are not at a loss for a number of ideas, but they're missing oftentimes clarity on big breakthrough ideas and things that can really, really move the needle. And that's one of the things that I like to think that I've got my process of helping to bring clarity has been really useful for. And going back to what Alex talked about, he's like, I think he says something. There's like no such thing as a million dollar idea. It's like only a million dollar execution or something to that nature. I'm like, well, that's not true. You can come up with an idea and literally license it to somebody else. I mean, a patent is really just an idea, by the way. Mm -hmm. And you can license it to somebody else and they can run with it. You could make a million dollars off of your idea. So I get really passionate about the concept of ideas because I think that they are the single thing that has driven humanity forward is ideas. Obviously, you have to execute them, but I just hate seeing them get a bad rap. Yeah, no, and that's I wanted to share with you right now, based on what you were saying, like Baker Rap Business or what have you, I can't tell you how often 
I've got young family members that come to me and say, I want to be a famous YouTuber, right? Or I want to be a Twitch star. And the reason they come to me and say this is because they see these other Twitch stars or YouTubers, these experts, and they idolize them. And they're like, wow, this guy's really cool. I want to do that. And the very simple sidestep, just showing like how smart your idea is, the win-win, would be a YouTube channel or a Twitch channel that focused on interviewing those people would be a much better growth pattern. You would be able to do it much quicker, much faster. You'd be utilizing their audiences to help them grow. And they'd be helping each other out because a lot of these big Twitch stars, they don't communicate with each other. So you would be essentially enabling them to share audiences, which would allow them to grow without doing collaborations. And you're putting the effort in to go and interview them. Just showing that idea that you came up with. It's, and this is one of my favorite things to do, which is where you borrow an idea from a different industry and drag it into the one that you want to do. One of my favorite books is a book called Borrowing Brilliance. And it actually has an entire framework for doing that. It's like a five-step process. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it really has to do with understanding how, I mean, there are no real original ideas out there anymore, but you can borrow brilliance from one area, recombine things and have tremendously effective strategies, both in business and life and whatever, by doing exactly what you said. And oftentimes, when I'm working with my clients, that's exactly what we do. One of my, I guess, super abilities, I've got a very good memory. When I learn something, I integrate it, I remember it. I can remember I was just working with a client the other day. We were trying to solve a problem and I just happened to remember a, a strategy that I read in a completely unrelated industry, but it was about four years ago and I learned about it. We decided to apply it and see if, how it would work within this business model and it worked perfectly. So we're in the process of actually executing that. But it really is when you go and get these cross-industry insights and say, oh, this worked over here. I wonder how it can work in this area. It can be super duper powerful. I agree 100%. In fact, I actually just bought the book right now when I was talking to you. I think you'll love it. It's the key. I really think that one of the biggest problems that a lot of people, executives, entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, et cetera, is facing right now is that it's, we are so inundated with flooded with information that, and a lot of the thinking gets done for us that we don't actually take a minute to sit back and think about how to think. And this has been a very top of mind topic for me really the past year, but more so even in the past six months. And I'll tell you why. As an entrepreneur, both as an entrepreneur and a consultant, I've got my own companies, I've bought companies, I've sold, I've consulted, and I've done a little bit of everything. I've never really quite felt like a true specialist in one specific area, especially like of marketing, like copywriting, Facebook and funnels and just any aspect of this. And when I went back to some of my clients recently after a business coach suggested I do this, which is ask your clients why they really buy from you. And I went back to them in November, December, and I at least went to like five of them. I've got to guess. You've got to let me guess before you say Go ahead. it. I'm guessing they all said because of the way you think. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. <laughs> yep. So and maybe that's what you see in me and appreciate as well. But now I'm here with the problem. Now that was kind of cool, but here was one of the problems. I'm like, I don't know how I think. If you hire me for how I think, I don't know. How do I, I've never codified this. I've never systematized it. Like, how can I duplicate this? Is it just magic? Do I just show up and like, like an Oracle think of the, but it's not that. So I sat down right around, I think on the break in between like Christmas and New Year's, I sat down with a journal and I started to write. But what I wrote, there's a concept that you may be familiar with. I don't know if all of your audience is called mental models. Heard that mental models? Absolutely. Cool. So mental models became an obsession of mine here in the past year or so. 
I really started to dive deep into them. And a model is simply a representation of the way something works. And it doesn't work in ever 100% of the cases. It works in a lot of them. The concept of the 80-20 theory is or principle, like that 20% of your inputs are responsible for 80% of your results. That's a model. It's not scientific. It just, I mean, it's not all the time it works, but it's a model. And sometimes that model can really help solve a problem. But now mental models gets very, very academic. But I started to sit down and just write down, what are my mental models? What are my principles? What are my rules of thumb? What are the lenses that I've looked through? What are some quotes that I've lived by? And more importantly, what are these things where they've acted as tools and leverage points for me in my life? And I just started to write and they were all little one-liners. And the very first one I wrote, by the way, was I don't need to know everything if I can access the people who do. And I wrote down like 75 of these just in one sitting, probably within 30 minutes. And I'm sitting there, I'm blown away because in essence, I just hacked into my own brain going, well, wait a minute, this is actually how I think because we're all an amalgamation of all the experiences we and lessons we've learned, especially the hard way. And I got this visual because every single one of these things that I had was like a tool in my toolbox. And I've had experience with each one. And I got this visual of a janitor walking around with a big keychain, right? You have a big ring of keys and he's got like, Oh, I know that was me back in the day. <laughs> exactly. But so the janitor walks up to a door in the building and it's locked and he goes through his keychain, he flips through it until he sees a key that he thinks will work. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. He grabs another one and then that it finally fits and it opens the door. So I started to think of these as my cognitive keychain or my cognitive keys. That name just stuck out in my brain and I loved it because now I realize that I've got all these tools. So what I did then starting January 1st, I like to journal in the morning, but a lot of times I'll just brain dump. But this time I started to go through one a day. I would grab one of those things that I wrote, one of those little principles and one of those little mental models. And I wrote and I wrote with a structure that says, here's the mental model or here's the cognitive key. Here's a situation. Here's like a locked door or a challenge in which what might be useful. Here's how most people would probably try to solve it. Here's how this key fits. Here's an example of me using it in my history. If I was to explain to somebody else how they can put it into place, what would I tell them to do, right? So for instance, if I was telling you about the very first cognitive key that I just said, which is I don't need to know everything if I can access the people who do, I just pulled it up right here. I said, okay, step one, ask, is what I want to do possible? Okay, yes. If it's possible, what specific knowledge is needed to achieve it? Now, three, if I don't possess the knowledge, ask yourself, do I need to acquire the knowledge or simply access it? And an example is running Google AdWords for advertising might be necessary to achieve what you want to do, but you don't necessarily need to learn how to be an AdWords guru or ninja at this. You might simply need to access somebody else's knowledge. Now, the next step is write down all the possible ways you might possibly acquire or access this knowledge. For instance, you could read a book, listen to a podcast, buy a home study course, go to a networking event, join a mastermind, hire a coach, hire a mentor, hire an employee, partner up with somebody. And then the last couple things is assess how expensive in both time and money that knowledge is to acquire or access and then decide a course of action execute. So I've done this now for like 60 different cognitive keys on my own. And I cannot tell you just how cathartic and therapeutic just in my own life that these have been because it's a great reminder that I've got so many more tools in my tool chest that a lot of these I was just unconsciously competent at. But now, 
if I'm sitting down with my own business problems with one of my own clients, how do we use some of these keys to unlock some of the challenges that you're trying to achieve? And some of the keys just work once and some of them are like a skeleton key and it works on a lot of doors. But mm-hmm. I'm in the process of turning these into a book and I may even create a secondary, like another podcast around this as well, where I'll guarantee I'll be calling you back up with, <laughs> let's talk about here's what a cognitive key is. What are some of the cognitive keys you've used to shortcut the decision-making processes, to open doors, to overcome obstacles, to create new opportunities? And as I said, just for myself alone, if I never shared this with anybody else, it's an amazing toolbox for myself. But I encourage everybody to think about what are the things that have led to your success, little one-liners, whether they're quotes or principles, and then write about it. What has worked for you? Why has it worked? What's a story? Because you'll come away realizing you know a lot more than you think and that you've got a lot more ways to make a goal probable rather than just possible. So I love this and I want to give everyone listening to this insight into what happens in our regular conversations. So while you were talking, Brad, as always, you fired off my brain and I would like to throw something at you for you to consider to add to this. And I would call this the BCCK assessment. This is the Brad Costanzo Cognitive Key Assessment. Make a piece of software that takes people through the keys, so their idea, and then it walks them through all these questions, and they've got multiple choice answers, or they get to type out the text. At the end of the software, by the time they finish this entire piece, it will give them their full summarized assessment based on the way they answer those questions. Hmm. I thought you would. This would operate, that you could use this for multiple things. I'll give you an idea. One, most importantly, it will take the knowledge in your head. And instead of being something that somebody applies just via a book, it actually has a piece of software framework that does it. And of course, that's proprietary. So you could license out that software to people, which obviously you know a lot about, and or it enables you to sell this concept. So you can sell the business afterwards, which I know you're good at. And of course, as a software tech company, your multiple will be significantly higher. Yeah. So, okay, let me go back then just so this assessment, did you say it's designed to pull their own keys out of their head or to, to do something else? Yeah, this is to use your keys for their idea. So what would happen is, yeah, I would buy your software and it's almost like they do the employee assessment software where it's like, take this into optimize, except for you, it will be to optimize somebody's idea in a business before presenting any idea to anyone. It goes into the BCCK assessment and it will give a summarized report of what the idea is. Now, what's cool is a lot of companies, they'll say to someone, hey, before you present an idea, I want you to create a one sheet. Well, what your software would do is essentially create not just a one sheet, but a full analysis and a one sheet. And all it is is going through your ideas. Let's just say one of the questions is, who do I know that might have the answer to this? And they will write in the name of who they know that might have the answer. And then at the end, it pumps out the answer. It's like, Here are the three experts we need to contact to identify whether this is viable. And it will create the action plan for them just by going through the software. I like it. Have you ever read or heard of Ray Dalio's book, Principles? I have read it. It's a great book. Cool. This is somewhat similar. It's not exactly just principles, but there's a very similar vibe. And I don't know if you've ever gotten Ray's or the Principles in Action, which is an iPhone or Android app that you can get. He actually has this cool aspect in here called coach. So I just opened it up right now and it says this, what situation are you experiencing? And I can type in, like he has an example, I'm experiencing pain. 
But there's other stuff like multiple choice. Like I'm experiencing getting in sync with disagreements, everyday work. Like if I just type in everyday work, it's going to come up with some various common situations, such as how do I set goals? So then I click on how do I set goals? And then it gives you multiple principles, some of Ray's principles on this regarding goal setting. So it'll be like Ray's principle. Well, think for yourself to decide one, what do you want? What is true? And what should you do to achieve one in light of two? And then he has another one. And it's all kind of pulled from the book. So they put in their situation or the category of their situation. And then it pulls from the principles to give them potential answers. That sounds somewhat similar to kind of what you're talking about, because it's like, look, if you're preloaded with all of these potential keys in here and people are talking about, yeah, what's my issue? What's my issue? You can kind of tie them back. Does that sound exactly what I'm thinking? And I love like you said that because I remember I saw that in his software. I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'd be a great idea for what you've got. And I think there's so many different ways you can use it as well. Like you could use it as a piece of software that people can buy and license. You could put it as come certified BCCK experts or engineers or coaches who would take your software with them into companies and help them have these ideology workshops or what have you that you help them use this and basically test the principle. But beyond that, you could even use a version of it as a lead magnet where at the end, once they go through it, it says, hey, why not have Brad actually go through this in depth with you and see if you can leverage his network or his contacts to help expand this idea further. I love that. This has been a really cool work in progress and creative, almost passion project where it's really kind of reinvigorated me again, because I truly believe that like answers to every single thing we want are out there. If we kind of understand, if we go to, down to the first principles into those and realize that all of these problems, if it's not against the laws of physics, they've been solved by somebody in some way. And sometimes it's a combination of thinking slightly differently looking at it with a lateral lens in a different way that people kind of haven't looked at it before and realizing that, well, wait, actually, one of the things, this is innovation and ideation theory that I didn't invent this, but it's commonly used also in design theory as well, which is the words, how might we? How might we statement is an amazing way to plan something, especially if or to overcome a problem when you don't know how. Because Adam, if you and I are sitting there and we're talking about, well, how do we grow to 10 million a year, whatever we're trying to do, right? If I go, Adam, how do you make the number one podcast on all of iTunes? Well, if I just ask you, how do you do that? That is a super big, like Mount Everest style, like, man, I got to overcome Joe Rogan. I got to do this. Like, man, <laughs> yeah. possible. But if I said, okay, well, Adam, how might we get the number one podcast on all of iTunes? All of a sudden, that should trigger a different way of thinking about this problem. It's like, well, because what it does is it detaches you from the how, from really actually doing it. So it allows your imagination to run a little bit more wild. Well, how might we do that? Well, we might, I don't know, partner up with somebody who's got like the biggest traffic in the world or the most trust or whatever. We might do this. We might do this. There's a lot of things we might do whenever I'm working with a client, et cetera, trying to unlock a different way of thinking about it. I'll use these how might we statements. And it's so much fun to see where these conversations go when you ask those questions. You are triggering a memory in my head from a couple of weeks ago. Have you ever heard Roland, who is a mutual friend of ours? By the way, yes. Uh, have you ever heard how he made $1.5 million in six days because he was bored? Oh, I don't know. I've heard so many. So <laughs> during the volcano, there was a volcano that grounded his flight for six days when that big volcano erupted. No, I hadn't either. I was blown away. So 
For everyone listening, Roland Fraser is a, a mutual friend of mine and Brad's. We're, we're going to get him on the podcast at some point soon. And he's a business partner of mine. And Roland shared this incredible story. I'm going to paraphrase it. And I'm not going to go into detail because I'll get Roland to say it later. But what happened was he'd fly back to America on a flight that got grounded. He was in Europe due to the volcano. And rather than just sitting in an airport, he decided he would go to a hotel. And because he's Roland, he got a very expensive hotel room and decided that he would pay for the hotel room by launching a brand new business during the six days that he was there. So he was like, he Googled what is a good affiliate deal to promote right now. And he found a company that was running an affiliate offer, the most recent affiliate offer, literally on Google. And then he said, it's very similar to what you're saying, who might not be promoting this offer? Rather than just assuming everyone's going to promote the biggest offer on Google, who might not be? And so he reached out via his Facebook, via Google, via random Facebooks, via podcasts to as many audiences as he could and found 20 large audiences that were not going to promote this particular program. And he said, if I create a two hour accompanying product that goes with this, to help it make it more appealing, would you promote it with my affiliate link and we will split the money together? I do know this story. This was, <laughs> he was promoting Mike Koenig's Main Street Marketing Machine right. and years ago. Yeah, I absolutely know this story. I love and it. And I love it because it came from who might not be. Rather than just assuming everyone is, he's like, well, who may not be? Who might not be promoting this? It's hilarious. So it is funny that you say this too because the second cognitive key that I wrote down was all about powerful questions. Now, because I do believe that I know Tony Robbins talks about this, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. I think that was a quote of his, but it's the questions you ask are important, but it's the questions you haven't been asking are even more important and they can unlock so much more. Like there's so many different ways to think of a question. You can ask like that same question, how do we and how might we are very similar on the surface, but they create completely different answers. In fact, I mentioned uh, Keith Cunningham. There's an amazing book called The Road Less Stupid. And in it, <laughs> which I highly recommend anybody who's going to be an entrepreneur gets it immediately. But The Road Less Stupid talks at the end of every single chapter. He gives you thinking time and he gives you a handful of like 10 different questions, most of which you've never thought of asking. And they're just great ways of unlocking different answers. And one of the keys, the, the second key on mine, I titled it, Powerful Questions Create More Credibility Than Fancy Credentials. And hmm. I think about this in terms of when I'm working with clients, like I work with some very big clients that a lot of people are like, well, Brad, how do you get some of these people to work with you? Honestly, when I break it down, I was like, it's not that I'm smarter than anybody else. I just ask the right questions. And those right questions demonstrated not only my ability to be able to think through the problems that they're having, but if I'm asking these really good questions, it demonstrates that I know enough about the situation to ask the right questions. It also demonstrates that I'm there to solve problems and not just prescribe a solution like, oh, you got a headache? Take this. Well, let's actually dive down deeper. And as I said, powerful questions create more credibility than fancy credentials. And I truly believe that kind of ties into the idea of just questions you ask, the way you ask them are really critical to achieving what you want. But so few people don't do it. We're just looking for a linear path. And oftentimes the door isn't locked. It actually makes me think, have you ever seen those? There's like a door with a door jam, just like in the middle of a, there's no walls on it, but it's just a door with a door jam sitting in the middle of a field or a wall. You walk up to it and a lot of us, 
don't realize that you can just walk around. You don't have yes. to go through the door. There's mm-hmm. a way around it. Great example. I'm going through this right now, so I'll have to redact all the names of the companies, et cetera. However, about a year ago, I purchased a business in a certain market and I got it for a really good price and it was cool. The only problem is I don't have the expertise nor the time and willingness to put enough effort into taking this to the next level where it needs to be. So I'm looking at this, this investment I made, which I've, I think I've made my money back. I'm about break even and it's got so much potential. Once more, the opportunity cost of me spending a lot of time on it was going to cost me a lot more money. So I sat back, I took a deep breath, I went through a handful of the cognitive keys and I realized that, wait a minute, there is another company who's doing almost exactly what we're doing and it's kind of in the app space, but it's a mobile platform and they're doing it the exact same thing in a very complementary but non-competitive industry. They are local here. I have an in, I have access to them because I know a person who knows them and They have a team of about 15 people working on their business. They've raised a million dollars. They've got about a 16 to $20 million like established valuation on the company. I took the guy to lunch and I created the enough curiosity in the conversation about what we're doing. And I got him to realize that it might be a good idea to merge. So we're in the process now of spinning off this app platform from the other business that I bought created a new company where this other guy's business gets about $16 million value business. He's going to get a lion's share of this. He's going to take over all the operations and everything else. I'm going to bring some of the assets and strategies that I've got over to this. And I'm also going to get a percentage of his company as well. So what I just, it's leverage. I just realized, wait a minute, I don't have the infrastructure to take this to where it needs. Who else has what I need? Well, him and who else needs what I have? Also him, because I have a great asset that fits perfectly like a perfect jigsaw puzzle into his business. And this will be a big win if we're able to do this because I was able to just stop, think that, okay, I don't have to figure this all out myself. Who else has got this figured out? And how can I create a win-win partnership for both of us? And that's what's going on right now. And none of this would have happened if I tried to take a linear, just normal entrepreneurial path to figure this out. I took an opportunial path. I love this. It's one of the reasons that I love bouncing ideas from you. We're getting close to the end now. So I do want to leave the person listening to this with maybe one final quick psychology hack golden nugget that if you could just get someone to think in a slightly different way. And I think you've given a load. So I don't know how you're going to top it. Just one more little thing that you could give somebody before we bounce out. I'd love it if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So I think I mentioned this before, but probably the single most foundational, one of these psychology hacks, one of these cognitive keys that it's two words. I mentioned it briefly, but it's access and influence. And the very first one is tied into this, which is understanding the difference between access and ownership. You do not need to own it, especially these days. I mean, you don't need to own a car if you can access Uber, right? Or you don't need to have a house if you just go around an Airbnb around the world. You don't have to access it, own it if you can access it. And access does not just mean people. It means capital, knowledge, resources, support, friendship. I mean, it can be anything. If I don't have access, how can I get access? And then the second part of that, which is critical, this is like playing the piano. It's access is the left hand, the right hand is influence. So it's access and influence because you could have access to something But if I don't have influence to the person to either sell it to me, let me borrow it, let me partner, give it to me, et cetera, then it's not going to help me out. 
and understanding how do I build influence. And there's two types of influence. One is interpersonal influence, you and me, because you like me or because there's reciprocity. But then there's also mass influence. And that is, for instance, creating a platform like a podcast. I've got mass influence with my audience, which also gives me influence with my guests because they want access to my influence. But this ends up working like compound interest. Like the more things that I can get access to, even if I don't own them, the more influence I have. The more influence I have, the more access I can get. So I believe no matter where you're at is if you play the long game and just think, how can I stack, consistently stack both of these? How can I stack access to resources and influence with people so that I can get more access, which gives me more influence? And it goes like, as I said, like around and around and around. But to me, I always sit back, take a deep breath and go like, how does access and influence work like a master or a skeleton key for all of these issues? And I can't tell you how much fun I've had brainstorming ways and ideas based upon those two words. Dude, I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. If people wanted to take a step to listen to you more or get to find out more, where would you want to direct them? Cool. I'll give you two quick resources. Number one, if you like the way I babble on about this stuff, you can always subscribe to my podcast at baconwrappedbusiness.com. We talk about a lot of this stuff. And there is nothing yet here because this is really the only second time publicly I've talked about cognitive keys. However, I am going to be building out resources for people, probably even a Facebook group where I invite people in to share and to go about this. At this moment, that is not created. However, I did set up a really basic interest list at bradcostanzo.com forward slash keys, K-E-Y-S. This is not, you won't get spammed or anything. If you want to kind of go down this path with me and kind of follow on the journey as this becomes a book and becomes a lot more, then I invite you to check out bradcostanzo.com slash keys. And you can find a lot more about me on their website as well. But that's the best way. You are amazing. Brad, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for tuning in and listening. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.